Hello, welcome to Philosophy. I'm Will Anderson. This is my second go at doing today's intro because I just did a good five-minute introduction, said some very lovely things about today's guest, Judith Lucy, and then, of course, I discovered I hadn't plugged my microphone in because I am a very competent professional, which reminds me there are some competent professionals who help us get this show out every week, including uh, Podcast Mike and James Fosdyke, who uh, does the amazing original art if you want to follow James Fosdyke on all the socials. And uh, you can go to his Redbubble page and get merchandise, um, stuff that he's done for my other podcast, Tofop, and also for this podcast, Philosophy. So that is available at James Fosdyke's uh, Redbubble page. And of course, Podcast Mike. Podcast Mike who helps me record and put together shows and post the shows and do all sorts of stuff, uh, Podcast Mike. So um, I like to think that all those people get paid properly. So... Uh, the best way that you can help me do that is you can go to patreon.com slash philosophy and contribute as little as a dollar a month and you get some bonus content. But in particular, you just get to make sure that this podcast comes out every week. So if that's something you enjoy, the best way to make sure that it happens is uh, for you to contribute at patreon.com slash philosophy. Or the other option is if I'm coming to somewhere where I'm uh, in, near you and I am doing a stand-up show, come out and see me do stand-up because that's really mostly how I pay for all this is uh, through the money I earn through my stand-up comedy. So I'm coming to Adelaide next Tuesday. My show starts my first time back in Adelaide for two years. So I'm very excited to be back and particularly excited to be bringing this show, Will Informed, which is an updated version of a show I did at the Melbourne Comedy Festival last year, but with a whole lot of brand new material and a whole lot of brand new material that I am super excited about doing. I'm really uh, enthused about being back doing stand-up full-time and doing three shows has given me a whole lot of creative things to be able to concentrate on. Yes, three shows at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, uh, two weeks of Will Eagle, my show about being arrested on the way to Wagga Wagga. A lot of people have said, are you going to record it? Uh, can I see it? I missed it. Well, here's your opportunity. Ten shows only in Melbourne. The last time I'll be doing it in Melbourne and no, I don't know if I'm going to record it or not at any stage. And if I do record it, I don't know, there might have to be stuff that I would change for it to be recorded. So come and see the version, the version, the original version, the unedited version. See the whole story uh, at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, 10 shows only. And then the, the second two weeks of the festival, I'm doing something that I could not be more excited about, which is that I am uh, doing my completely improvised show, What You Talking About, Will, where I make up the entire show on the spot by talking to the audience and then just improvising and no show uh, is the same every night completely different and they're amazing shows I absolutely love doing these shows because I'm hearing the material for the first time too but there's a real joy in creation and sharing something with an audience that no one else will get to share it feels uh, to me as pure as stand-up can feel so 10 shows of that only at the Melbourne Comedy Festival at the Comedy Theatre come more than once come and see a couple of shows uh, if you would like to see how different it is from night to night. Uh, my tour is on sale for all around Australia at the moment and more dates to be added. So comedy.com.au is the place to find all that information. So Judith Lucy. Judith Lucy has a new podcast. It's called Overwhelmed and Dying. And uh, well, basically it's about the state of her life and it's eight episodes and she kind of lays out the problems she's facing uh, you know, a failed relationship that she thought was going to be the love of her life, you know, the state of the world in general, her place in the middle of the world. We speak about a lot of these things on today's podcast, but her podcast, I've listened to the first couple of episodes and I guarantee if you like Judith Lucy, then you are absolutely going to love Judith Lucy overwhelmed and dying through ABC podcasts. It's brilliant. It's really, really fantastic. And it's 
the sort of work that only Judith can do. She's a singular talent. She's one of the greatest comedians the world has ever produced, in particular, I think, the greatest comedian Australia has ever produced. I love her perspective. I love her work ethic. I love everything about what she does. And I look at so much of modern comedy and think it wouldn't exist without the influence of Judith Lucy. I, I love her. I think she's just as uh, lovely a person to talk to as you will ever find. We have been exchanging messages post this podcast about a catch up we're going to have and talk about things that we couldn't talk about on a podcast, which when you listen to this episode, you'll realize it's not a lot. I'm not really sure what we're going to talk about that we couldn't have talked about on this podcast because we go to some pretty uh, honest areas and speak about them in an honest way. And I guess that's not probably going to be for everybody. Um, there's probably some drug talk and a few other things on this that, you know, won't be to people's tastes. But what I like about this podcast is it's opportunity for adults to talk about things in an adult way. So uh, I was very pleased that Judith was happy to have that conversation with me and so brilliantly and so honestly. And I hope that I return that honesty with some of my own, you know, in a way... Uh, to support her but in a way also that I think that we need to talk about these things out loud there are so many things in our society at the moment and I highly recommend Josh Earl's blog Josh Earl wrote a blog on his Patreon about you know uh, the struggle that he had post Spicks and Specs being cancelled on the ABC and some other things that have been going on in his life and a pretty dark moment in his life that he has since thankfully you know recovered from but wanted to write about and tell people about Josh is going to be a future guest on this podcast, Josh Earl. I absolutely love Josh, but I highly recommend his blog. You can find that at Josh Earl. So just Google that and have a look at that blog as well. Anyway, Judith Lucy, that's who I'm here to talk to you about. I've talked for longer than I did last time, and I read out the whole description of the podcast last time because I was being professional, but this time my internet wasn't working. Thank you, MBN, and I couldn't actually look up the description again. So anyway, it's a great podcast. I kind of told you what it was about from memory. Everything's fine. Enjoy this episode with Judith. Anderson with Will Anderson. Oh, I fucked up this early into the podcast. <laughs> this is this is no good. Returning guests though, so I don't feel as bad about you know fucking up this early. If if it was a, if it were a brand new guest and I was really trying to impress them, then I would feel bad about it. But you're a returning guest. Who are you? I'm Judith Lucy. Hello, Will Judith Anderson. Lucy. And uh, you know, even if I wasn't returning. We've known each other a bit too long for that, haven't we? I mean, we've known each other a very long time now. We have. It occurred to me as I was driving over to your home today because I have not been to your home previously, I don't think. No, not many comedians have. Is that right? It is. It is correct. Denise Scott, of course, has been here on on many an occasion. Uh, I think T. Martin. But yeah, I mean, no, not that many. So well, I feel soak it in. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it's a real privilege. I've been taking a lot of spy cam photos uh, yeah. <laughs> when you've been looking away. <laughs> well, it's huge too. Yeah. I mean, you just came in from the tennis court. Well, so. exactly. You know, your man let me in. And, yeah, <laughs> and Godfrey's just—he's just a reason to get up in the morning. Thank you, thank you. Go home for the night, Godfrey. You're a marvel and a wonder. Um, do you? Uh, I, I am interested in in, in that because, um, you know, home. You know, like your your personal space. Mm. How protective of it 
are you as a person? Are you somebody who's a bit open doors or are you someone who's like, I'd like my home to be my home and I'd rather go and meet you somewhere else? I love getting off my face still. Not as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. But so I guess what I'm saying is that I still do enjoy having people over mm. when that is the end game. Right. And I have never been one of those people because I don't smoke dope anymore, but I still like to consume it. And I've never been one of those people that gets stoned and likes going out. No. So if there are people uh, that I like to get stoned with, it's, well, come and do it at my place right. and we'll get some takeaway and, and that sort of thing. Essentially what I've been doing since I was 21. <laughs> so it's good to know that after 30 years, the magic is still there. It, but is it more or less fun than it was 30 years ago? It's still really fucking yeah. fun. I've got to say, especially when I turned 50, maybe I thought, oh, this is all going to change. But I remember thinking that at 30 yeah. and at 40, that these things that I enjoy doing would just stop being so much fun. Nah. I remember because, you know, gosh, when ecstasy was all the rage, I mm. loved doing a bit of that. And I remember when my last relationship ended, I went up to Sydney um, to lick my wounds and I stayed with some friends. And what struck me as being ridiculous is that um, my friend Warwick very kindly took the day off work, took me out for a lovely lunch. We went back to his place. Uh, by that stage, we're watching television a bit of black mirror from memory you know we've had the pizza we're really pretty drunk and then at 9 30 he says how about some mdma <laughs> so, <laughs> and why stop at one pill why not have two apiece along with his partner and i'm and, thinking and to stay home uh, Stayed so home. not with a Stayed not home. with any intention of none. going out and about there none and let's just Pop, Let's pop some on, in, pop some Molly pop and sit some on the Molly, couch. Get YouTube happening, and uh, it was a lovely touch. We watched and danced to uh, breakup songs. Oh. So that's the good news, young people. You don't stop taking drugs. You just you stop don't going out in public. <laughs> go out. You just don't leave home, and it's a lovely way of easing into hospitalisation and palliative care at the end of your life when you just take drugs and don't get out of bed. So I'm really <laughs> ready for it. I mean, if you can, I think that a lot of people find it confronting when their entire life is just sitting watching television and then you know taking drugs. Like a lot of people have that as their end of life experience, yeah. right? Yeah. You're on some heavy medication sure. and all you've got to do with your day is to watch television. When you but don't if pre- choose to do yeah. that, <laughs> it's a nightmare. But, you know, I'm just really, I'm racing towards aged care. But what about you? Do you still enjoy it? Uh, do, do I? You know what? I, had, I, I, talked, I was doing this podcast the other day. There's this young guy who's interested in comedy and... Um, oh bless yeah and he has a podcast it's called Funny and Failure and uh, his name is Michael and uh, um, so I went to his podcast and he asked me at the end about drugs and like you know and it was such a like it was really like I was like oh my god look at this uh, it's so curious about you know it was like okay well I guess I'll answer him but honestly. But what do you take them? What, what, what was his last well, question? Yeah, he really was like fascinated by like, you know, like well, it, it, it had been quite a nice interview but then at the end it was, I said to him, I said, was there anything that you wanted to ask me about but you you didn't ask me? 
and he said, I'd like to ask you about drugs and what sort of drugs you've taken and yeah, kind of what they felt like and what your oh. attitude to taking drugs was. And I was like, oh, am I someone who you think has an attitude to taking drugs? I guess that I do, but I don't... How comfortable do you feel about... I mean, re obviously reasonably comfortable you feel about talking about it. Was there ever a point in your life where you f didn't feel comfortable? Like, where no. you had any hang-ups about saying, you know, I take recreational drugs? No. And I remember one of the biggest disappointments of my life, that might be overstating it, was when I went out to lunch with my father because Dad and I had this kind of little tradition... Mm. Um, you know, by this stage I was living in Melbourne and I would only go back to Perth at Christmas and we would go and have a lunch sort of every Christmas. And um, Dad's ability to be self-involved was really second to none. Mm. And I do remember at one of those luncheons mentioning to him that I'd taken heroin, really just wanting a reaction. Yeah. Nah, nothing. So, yeah, not that fast. I think it was at the same lunch that he told me how he used to screw his secretaries. That got a much you bigger response attention? from me. Oh, so, you know yeah. What? That's probably what he wanted. <laughs> well, I know. You win again, Tony Lucy. But no, I can't say it has ever bothered me. Does it bother you? Uh, well, no, no. Because I've had times where, you know what bothers me? Is when people assume. And this happens all the time. It happened to be at a show the other night. Uh, so I was doing my improvised show at the Sydney Comedy Store and there, there was a woman in the front row who was a psychologist. And so at the end of the show, you know, the, the bit that I was doing was basically I said, now that you've seen, you know, what you've seen for the last 80 minutes, I want your professional assessment of what you've just seen, right? I thought that'd be a funny, yeah, funny way to end the show, right? Good offer. Whatever comes from this will be fun. And she just goes, cocaine. And I was like, I, that offends me. Because of all the drugs that you're going to lay down on a table, that would be towards the end of the same, drugs that I was going to same. take. Same. Not one of my favourites no. either. My personality type is a little cocaine on stage. I get that. Like, But I don't need to... That's normally after at least a couple of beers and probably a joint before the show. That's me on depressants. Yeah. Like if I added yeah. you know, like speed or coke or something like that to what is already happening to me on stage, my head would explode. Explode. Right? But, yeah, I, cocaine to me is the one that is most commonly around and the one that I'm always least excited about, the fact that that's what people are, the you know, if we only... were going to spend 300 bucks on drugs, let's get some mushrooms and yeah. some acid and, I'm, like, I know a guy who can get us DMT. I'm Have you guys much, want to do an ayahuasca ceremony? Oh, <laughs> I would do ayahuasca at the drop of a hat. I would love to do ayahuasca. So have you done any of those sort of, like, like psych, that sort of, yeah, process-driven psychedelic. So ayahuasca or DMT, you know. No, okay. and I would really love to. And I'm pretty determined mm. that I will before I die. But my only interest in Coke and Speed mm. has always been you can drink more on them. Yeah. That's the only appeal for me. And I always find the come down just mm. a motherfucker. And I remember being with someone who did enjoy taking a lot of Coke at his time and uh and of course he had some magnificent cocaine and i there came a point in the evening where i said i've really got to stop i've got a shocking migraine and he kept saying no but the solution is yeah. another line cocaine. <laughs> and no no cocaine is not the answer for me i it's mean also it's also a drug of diminishing returns 
Like I, there'd be a lot of people listening to this. Well, there wouldn't be because my friends don't listen to this podcast. But if my friends listen to this podcast, they'd be like, well, it's all very well for you to go on a podcast and say that, you know, you don't like cocaine. But if we're at some party and that's the only option, oh, sure. you're probably going to have some. And I was like, yeah. And don't get me wrong, if someone offers me cocaine, oh, no, 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 I'm never going to be so churlish <laughs> as to decline. I don't want. I think by, on behalf of Judith and I, we need you to know. Yes. Please still offer us the cocaine. <laughs> we will say yeah. yes. We'll go, is yeah. this all you've got? No. But if it is, we're there in a flash. Yes, but that is my experience of taking that drug in particular is when it's the only drug that is available rather than, I, I, you know... It, Ecstasy for me, particularly in my 20s, you know, was a drug that I found just, well, A, incredibly fun. Yes, I mean, yes so much fun. Staying so up all night fun. made you feel amazing. And really made you feel like you were just bearing your soul to whoever you were speaking to. And I think that probably in your 20s, a perfect time to take it. Perfect. Because Absolutely. it is a bit of what certainly I needed and I think what I loved about that drug was that you knew you would end up going out and you, you could do it like often with your best friends yeah and then you would just like for 12 hours all of you would just hang around sort of telling each other how much you loved each other yep. on a series of adventures what a great way to spend your weekends there is nothing wrong with that picture mm. not a thing well I used to so when I first started at Triple J like you know because first time in my life that I've got you know decent money but I've moved to Sydney and, you know, like moved away from all my friends in Melbourne. So quite often I would, you know, I'd fly back to Melbourne and we would end up just like barely sleeping for the entire weekend, you know, like just going out all weekend, in your 20s, like, you know, and suddenly people kind of know you a bit as well, you know, like if it's fun, you get into places, like you're just having the best time of all time. But in particular, what I loved about that was a Sunday nights on the ABC, there was a series that John Doyle wrote called Changi. Do you remember oh Changi? Oh my God, I do. It was yes. a, like a part musical set in a prisoner of war in, you know, in Changi, the prisoner of war yes. camp. Yes. And start all these, you know, kind of, you know, young Australian, you know, yes, acting. Yes, with no offence to John Doyle. Mm. And of course, I'm a huge fan mm. of his. I never saw a second of right. it. But I was aware of it. I would every Sunday night. That would go, I'd get back that to Sydney. That was your come down. And just cry. <laughs> <laughs> cry for an hour during Changi. And then I'd be right, great. That's that's out of my system. That's I'll hilarious. be right for the week. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't have a problem. So that was 20s. But then all, I, I think kind of post, post 30, my desire to do those sort of drugs, like, you know, ecstasy cocaine speed those upper drugs went away a fair bit and then my interest became more about psychedelic drugs yeah much more interest like that's kind of the world did that you I ever do heroin never did it don't like needles i know you can do it in other ways but mm. i think the whole needle thing kept me away from doing well, did you do it with a needle i did yeah. but if i'm totally honest yeah. that had a little bit to do with the fact that i had a massive crush on the boy who injected yeah. me. And I don't know why someone injecting you is sexual, but it is. Well, I mean, it's penetration. It is penetration, it's, yes. You know. And it's, unfortunately, that's as close yeah. as I was going to get in this case. <laughs> so what a wise decision that was. But it was so not for me. And there was a lot of it about in the circles that mm. I was moving in in those days. And I just remember I took it about six times and each time I remember thinking, oh, this isn't for me. And I, it was just like um, 
I would be, and some people like um, a very good friend of mine who unfortunately is no longer with us, she seemed to be quite energised by taking heroin. It was like she'd taken mm. cocaine. But for me, it was just like I'd had a general anaesthetic. I would be on the floor. I would sort of see things happening around me that I wanted to involve myself in and just wasn't capable. The only thing I could do was go to the toilet and throw up again. And I thought, yeah, this is no fun. This is what I do when I'm hungover. I don't want to do this. So, yes, I'm very grateful that I did not take to it. But So did you get any sort of like, you know, positive effect from it? Was there no. something about it at all that made you think? No. Oh, no. no. And But I can honestly say having smoked mm. it twice, uh, they were two of the best highs I've ever had. Yeah, right. Interesting. Smoke heroin responsibly, children, <laughs> obviously. But uh, yes, I that was a yeah. that was an incredible feeling of euphoria and what that was, I did not experience when I, I uh, someone injected it. Did you me. have an external view about heroin itself? Like, was there something about when you're running because heroin had a romanticism around it, particularly yeah. in the rock and roll, you know, circles. You know, there was a real, you know, mythos around heroin i guess um but also of course like the people who you know would never consider you know trying these sort of drugs and even me who's you know done a whole bunch of things since that i probably you know a few of them I, i'd hate you know to have to sit down and tell my parents about you know sure is that then i think even back then, I was like, I don't see a lot of happy heroin people. Oh, no. Like, you know, Dylan Moran used to have that joke about going, you know, like if you tried it back when you didn't know, fair enough. But if you're trying heroin now, at least you must have heard it makes your tummy a bit icky. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Well, I mean, I was in my 20s uh, and I certainly knew people who got into it later in life and that did not end well. I look back and kind of go, of course, that was pretty stupid, but... I must admit there's also a part of me that when it comes to drugs and a lot of things that I just think, yeah, I'll give it a crack. Mm. I sort of feel like that's one of the reasons we're here, isn't it? I mean, I think so too, but there is so much in our society that is built up around the idea that that is not the case. Yeah. You know, these things are... There will be people listening to this conversation now and I'm glad that we're having it and I don't want to stop having it. In fact, I think, you know, why not? Now that we're having it, we might as well keep having it but i'm sure that there are some people listening to this right now who are like oh this is confronting to me sure i mean look in an ideal world i am one of those people that mm. thinks all drugs should be legal mm. and that uh people should receive the education and support that they need the way drugs are dealt with now is is appalling and ridiculous but part of it is the the massive lie right because we pretend that we have this society where people aren't doing these things and yet the minute that people have the courage to actually talk about it in public, we understand that everybody's doing this shit. Yeah. And if we actually open our eyes, we know that everybody's doing this shit and it's not rock and rollers who are doing, you know, cocaine. It's real estate agents and, oh, you know, like, you know. And of course, you know, football you know, players and, and whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Prescription drugs right. everywhere and that is where the biggest crisis is. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd never do ecstasy, but I am doing a lot of opioids <laughs> exactly. prescribed from my doctor. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, society's always been incredibly mm. hypocritical in terms of what's legal and what's not legal. And we all know, we all know the havoc alcohol can wreak. So right. all of those old arguments, and they are very old. Yeah. So you had never any had, had never had any hesitation? Because I grew up, 
in a sober household. You know, my dad's never drunk alcohol, never, you know, tried anything. Yeah. My mum, I think, you know, I mean, my mum, you know, had the occasional drink and had probably smoked a, a joint at, you know, high school or university, you know. But, you know, I certainly grew up in a household where there wasn't a lot of drugs around and we were certainly dis- discouraged away from drugs, which, again, not a bad thing for your parents to tell you no, when you're a teenager. I'm like, yeah, you know, good yeah. lessons from my parents. I'm yeah. fine with that. You can become an adult and start making your own stupid decisions. But, um, and, you know, it didn't work out well necessarily for a whole bunch of people who started in that sort of stuff too young either. Like, I would say that as well, which is like, you know, if you're going to try these things, there's no big rush. Oh, you don't and need I didn't to try do anything. Yeah. I didn't do anything until I was much mm. older. But that also meant because I had such a protected mm. kind of upbringing that when I tried everything, I was like the cookie monster. I was just mm. like, whoa, I'm just going to get off my face all right. the time and this is amazing. So I also think yeah. there's a happy medium. Like I think You were the if- kid whose parents didn't let him have sugar and then they go to one party and... Absolutely. So it's kind of like I wish I'd done a couple of things at 14, Um, you know, like even just get drunk at 14. So I wasn't doing it all when I was 22. But, you know, that's just what happened. Did you ever have, um, when when it came to drugs, like did you ever have like a plan or did it it genuinely just happen? You know, as in like I'm hanging around with these people, they're doing these sort of drugs. I never woke up one morning and went, well... It's February, time to mm. try heroin. Like, you know, <laughs> that was not what was happening. Okay. It was just a matter of... I've just done FebFast uh, yeah, and now and I've got now, a different idea for March. Time to unwind. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was just the circles mm. that I was moving in. And I guess I feel that there is a lot of hysteria around drugs and i mean I, I too had been brought up with that idea of oh if you try heroin mm. once you'll become an addict no of course you don't uh i mean i'm sure like everything some people have more of a propensity to addiction regardless of of what the substance is you know i i've known people who had to work pretty hard to become heroin addicts mm. god bless them they mm. succeeded they got there. and that turned out <laughs> really well <laughs> so, I mean, with all of these things, yeah. it's it's a matter of what's going on with you physically in terms of addiction, but also what's going on in terms of your mental health. And, I mean, certainly over the years, the things I came closest to dealing with was obviously alcohol because that's what I fucking love. I still love getting drunk. And there were certainly times in my life where I really think I, you know, was not drinking uh, in a way that was healthy. But, geez, I still enjoy a drink. But I'm also very glad I don't drink like I used to. So that that's interesting, though, because there is a modern day, you know, school of thought almost, which is, the, you know, the idea of like the only way to, you know, stop drinking more than you meant to is to stop drinking altogether. Did mm. you ever consider that it no. was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Not for a second. Uh, because I also, and I'm sure some people listening to this yeah. would think, well, well, who knows what they think, mm. but um, I knew I wasn't an We've alcoholic. started strong, June. That's what really I, I feel have. like we've really dived we in, We really which is have. Good. I never felt that I was actually an alcoholic. I felt that I was a very big drinker yeah. who certainly 
had gotten into the habit of getting off my face every night. And it sort of started off in my 20s as having a lot of fun. And then it reached a point where I thought this isn't so much fun anymore. Well, that's the difference, isn't it? Like, yeah. And that is the point where it and, – and often that can be internal or external. And I, I, and this is why I think that it's a pity that we don't have an honest conversation around drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. really, and particularly, you know, drugs, is that you then can't – if you say it's all bad, you, it, it's then harder to delineate when things are actually bad. Yes. Like, you know, if you say that getting high is bad, then you, it's harder to say, hey, when you got high that time and you did this, that was actually bad. I'm not judging the fact that you were high. Like, you've had plenty of good experiences when you're high. You've done, you know, you've been, like, some of the best times I've hung out with you are when you're high and you're yeah. so loving and lovely. But the other night when you were yes. high, this happened or you did this or I did this, you know, and that is not appropriate. If you say the whole thing is not appropriate, it's very hard then within it to go, no, this bit of it, now it's a problem. It's a problem because I behave like this or I'm doing it too often or I'm doing it in a way that's inappropriate. And that's it. I'm and I think hurt you myself. have to look at why you're doing it. And I think I realised mm. that um, I was drinking. I could look at it and go, okay, a lot of this drinking is not about having fun. A lot of this drinking is because I'm dealing with anxiety. It's because I'm dealing with insomnia. Um, probably a little bit of self-loathing in there as well. And that's when I went, well, okay, this is clearly not the solution for that. So why don't I try and deal with those problems in another way, which is when I kind of got into yoga meditation. And why don't you leave the drinking for when you're going out and having a lovely meal um, or just catching up with friends? And it's, it's kind of like I – one of the reasons I love drinking is because it's such a social drug. And that, for me, is when I enjoy it the most. There is nothing I love more than being with people I love and having a great meal and getting a bit pissed. That, to me, is one of life's great joys. But that is precisely the reason why when my last relationship ended, I did not drink. I did not drink my way through that Mm. because after a very long time, I finally worked out that trying to drink your way through grief and loss was not gonna work so um how did you know that was it because from previous experience of having done it years and not being and successful years and years of trying it and realizing that it uh it didn't work and probably look the, the time where it was most obvious to me and the biggest problem was when my parents died within 10 months of each other And my father and I had fallen out six weeks before he died, so he wasn't speaking to me. So I was just – and look, that was still kind of in the tailwind too of finding out I was adopted and all of that. So that was just not a great period for me. And I was really dealing with it by getting pissed. And I'd certainly dealt with my grief by getting pissed. And you know what? I'd wake up the next morning and it'd still be there. It's all the obvious stuff. But – I finally worked out that you can't outrun your grief, basically. There's no way you can dodge that bullet. You've actually just got to experience it. When you say that you were um, getting pissed, it was this still like a, it would become, you know, afternoon or nighttime and you would get pissed? Or was it a like wake up in the morning and, you know, ro- roll the night before into the next day uh, sort of piss? It was pretty rare that I drank in the morning. Mm. I always had a bit of a midday roll. Um, but 
But one day did kind of blur into the other. Although I will say that the one thing that stopped me from completely going off the rails was work. Mm. Because I always had enough pride in what I was doing. And also I've always been a bit of a fan of, well, you've got a contract with the audience. And Mm. if someone's paid to see me, with the exception of one show in Hobart many, many years ago that <laughs> nobody came to. Um, I think you're Well, part then the contract, the contract is void. It was void. We all decided it was void. Many, many people who were there at that time just decided to void that contract. But, um, but that I couldn't... As, and as full of self-loathing as I was, I was not so, self, so full of self-loathing that I could have done a, a, a gig pierced because I knew how much I would hate myself mm. the next day for letting the audience down. Well, how much would you, like, what, what would be the most you would drink and work? Like, what's your kind of level when it comes to you now, know, being on stage in front of people? absolutely nothing. Nothing at all? Nothing. I haven't had a drink before a gig for years. Is that right? Yep. Not at all? Not a thing. Yeah, okay. No. Interesting. Uh, in my heyday, when I was, you know, because your tolerance, woof. It's like everything. Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> and when your tolerance is high, you can really drink quite a lot before you go on stage and still be relatively sober. So I used to, and this is again going back to my 20s and early 30s, I could really throw down quite a few at lunch and still be pretty sober and go on stage. The only time I fucked that was one night in Hobart. But, um, and, and again... I just went, oh, my God, that will never, ever happen ever again. How often – what's the most off your face you've been on stage? Oh, uh, there's, there's been a few times over the journey where I, if I had my time again, I would, like, go back and say – there was a whole comedy festival in my sort of mid to late 20s where I was certainly not at my best. You know, and I was not aware that I was not at my best, yes. you know, which is the worst kind of not at your best. How true. Um, I thought everything was fine. Yeah. In retrospect, yeah. everything was not fine. I think, you know, I was certainly overcompensating from the fact that, like, I had a, I don't think, a show that was anywhere near good enough. And instead of my reaction to that being that I should, um, you know, actually shut down all external activities and go away and actually get the show right. I think that I felt like I was too far in and instead I was sort of drinking and drugging my way through, you know, trying not to, you know, care that my yeah. show wasn't good enough. Um, it was not – it turns out that was not the way to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not the secret to yeah. a healthy and See, it's unfortunate. Drugs are never yeah. a solution. No. That's the thing. I think, I, I think that's the takeaway mm. from this. They're never really a way of coping with stuff. But if you can take them responsibly and have fun, knock yourself out. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I think that what tends to happen is you push until that, there's that correction. Right, you know, you get to that point, and then you have that gig or that moment or yeah. whatever where you're like, and I think that's probably a, a, a healthy enough relationship with drugs and alcohol in a general sense. Is, you know, like that moment you notice when, hang on, this isn't this is not good. I've let down. Yeah. That I, I spoiled Christmas, or I uh, fucked up that gig, or yes. I, you know, made an ass of myself at that party. I slept with who? Who? Oh <laughs> shit. I really need to reevaluate. Okay. Um, okay. So, uh, what about drugs? Uh, other drugs? Is there anything uh, that 
you uh, yeah, is still on your list. You said ayahuasca. Like, ayahuasca. I would love to do the whole, you know. The process. Hook the me ceremony. up with a shaman. Yeah. Let's do the whole thing. Yeah. I love all of that shit. I fucking love that shit. Have you had like a proper psychedelic experience? Have you had one of those like experiences where you, you know, see your own births or your own deaths or your no and i mean i've and to be honest with you i've only had acid Mm. a few times and just really enjoyed Mm. it but no you know enjoyed the pretty colors did a bit of that but never just had any kind of breakthrough whatever that is but have you oh yeah so i did i went through a little period um when i was in the u.s and look to be honest dude one of those periods in your life where it was it, the, the thing that stopped me from doing more of it was that it was so much fun. Okay. Like yeah. I, I was like, oh, I reckon I could just do this full time. <laughs> you know, particularly I had a couple of ayahuasca experiences and a couple of DMT experiences. And I always say that the main side effect of DMT is that. You, what exactly is DMT? Well, DMT is just literally, well, I, again, I'm no expert on this topic. So, but Essentially, if you want to have the ayahuasca experience without, because it's the same, uh, whatever the component is, is is similar in DMT and in ayahuasca. But ayahuasca is that yeah, they make the plant into the tea, and you drink the yeah. tea, and it's a longer ceremony, and it takes a longer period of time, and there's quite a physical reaction often. Oh, like I, I certainly, a lot of I certainly up. had the throwing up yeah. when I did it, and I don't really like throwing up. You know, it's a it's a big thing. Yeah. Whereas DMT, like you smoke, like, you know, you know, crack pipe essentially, right? Sure. Like, you know, like, yeah. you know, like that. And the experience takes 10 or 15 minutes in total. And at the end of it, you could drive home. Like you, there is no wow. lingering. But while you're in it, like with your eyes closed, what's happening could, one of my experiences felt like it lasted for six months. genuinely for six months while I was in there and in the middle of it and kept going down to different layers and exploring different worlds and parts of my brain or whatever it is because like people who do that come out of it the other end and think well all time exists at once and you know we're controlled by lizards and blah 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 yeah and I saw all that I'm not I didn't come back necessarily going but I said the biggest side effect of DMT to people is that you will constantly talk about DMT yeah because once (laughs) it's one of those drugs that once you've done it you just want to say to people all the time going, you have to do this. You have to try this. Okay, riddle me this. Yeah. Anything that you experienced on DMT mm. or ayahuasca mm. that at the time you would have thought, oh, my God, this is life-changing. Yeah. Has that wound up being the case? I think that it doesn't solve anything, right? The best example that I can give, because when it feels, when you're in it, it feels so incredibly real, but not real as in documentary real, because it's so fantastical. A lot of it's images and shapes and dimensions that, you know, you don't really you know, comprehend in a normal way. And so that's why often the experiences can be quite hard to explain to people afterwards, because you're trying to draw an analogy to somebody who's never actually seen or experienced what it is that you went through there were bits of it yes that changed me forever absolutely 100%. really so you felt that some things were unlocked yeah or, definitely okay there can you two, give me an example yeah so the two things in particular so one was the, quite a common experience is the idea of experiencing they say experiencing your own death but what 
my experience of that was well, what it meant to me. And it was quite common, happened a couple of times to me, was it was more that I got a sense of, so this was my image that I was left with. This is not a perfect way to describe it, but this is the best way I can come up with to describe it. I had this sense of being on the planet and just normally on the planet. And then suddenly you had the sense that you were on the planet, but the planet was spinning how quickly the planet is like. So suddenly you're just aware that you're on this like planet that is just spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And then it slows down. So you're aware that it's slowing down and slowing down and slowing down. And then what I felt was that I extricated myself from the planet and then the planet slowly just like you know sped up and just kept going on without me so i was left with this real sense of oh yeah of course like you know you know before i was there yeah you know there was I'm nothing doing a lot of nodding listeners. and after i was there there was nothing yeah and you get and i got this real sense of like you know i'm part you don't notice that how quickly it's going and then it slowed down in a way that made me like notice that it was like you're spinning and then i kind of floated out of it and it kept going and the feeling that i had in that moment was one of great peace yeah so that definitely okay. is something that has stayed with me sure and is something that often comes back to me that feeling um if i'm meditating i can get to that exact same emotion and feeling like if if i'm like maybe smoking pot or like mushrooms or something you can get like a little almost like revisit that, like maybe not be in that moment, but like revisit that moment. The one that I wish that I could revisit, the one that I wish that I could go back to, because I had this one particular trip and experience where I was in a situation that I should never have put myself into. Mm -hmm. Like in retrospect from the outside, like, you know, just something that would disappoint my parents so much to you know, know that I had done this. But I was in Dallas, Texas, and um, a great friend of mine called Shane Moss, who's a brilliant US comedian, and he's made a documentary about psychedelics. This is his kind of area. He has dedicated a lot of his life to learning as much. He's kind of like a comedy Timothy Leary okay. sort of you yeah. know type. And great, really fantastic comedian, but just a, one of the nicest blokes you'll ever meet in your life as well. And I met him out here in Australia and we became great friends and the first time I ever tried DMT was with him in Portland, um, you know, at a comedy festival one night. I'd done a gig with, you'll love this, uh, I'd done a gig with Emo Phillips and um, Sean Cullen. Oh, wow. And uh, it, the gig had been great and then I went and did uh, DMT with Shane that, Moss. It all seems It was a so fun right. night in Portland, you know. Um, I was like, stand-up comedy is a fun job, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... He had said to me, he said, if you really want to have the, the the real experience, these guys in Dallas that I've been, you know, in contact with, they have like a, you know, a circle or whatever it is. They've been experimenting with different ways to sort of do it and combine it and what the process is. And, you know, there's music that's been composed that you can listen to to help like guide your trip. And they have like, anyway, I'm going to hook... I'm going to go there now. Right, I'm going to hook you up with these guys when you're in when you're in Dallas and they will, you know, they will look after you. And I was like, oh, okay, you know. But they all came they all came down and saw the show and I met them. And the funny thing about DMT is it it, it feels very uh, non-terrifying. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, I, and I've only a small experience of this. So, I'm, you know, I'm only talking from my small experience. But you're like, oh, okay, well, they're not going to, 
yeah, do me any harm. And by the way, the end of this story is they did not do me any harm. Yeah, yeah, these, yeah. these amazing strangers gave me this life-changing experience, charged me not a cent for it, didn't have the kindness of... The, so, so I keep saying like, you know, I shouldn't have done this thing. But I should have done this thing. It's one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life. But literally, this dude that I'd never met other than that this gig who'd been recommended by this comedian drove me to the suburbs of Dallas. I didn't tell anybody where I was going. Like, you know, like yeah. I'm, I'm in Dallas doing gigs. Yeah. I've got two gigs on the Saturday night. They came on the Friday night. I've got two gigs that night. And I've let a stranger drive yep. me into the suburbs of Dallas because a mate of mine told me that, like, you know, he's the guy that... Anyway, so I get to his house and he and his partner are there and then some friends come over because and I get this now because they want to be part of they've done it themselves mm -hmm. and there is an element of it that you you've seen this and it's given you such a great understanding of the world and your mind and life and a feeling of peace and humanity and coming together and all these sort of things of course you want to be there when somebody else yep. has their eyes open for the first time. But I don't really know that at the time either. You know, they're all there to kind of help you How and many people you. are we? Five, I'm going to okay. say, by the end. Yep. So now I'm in a room with five strangers. Yep. And they're not in doing the it. Because it's not, yep. it's not a communal drug. Sure. You're doing it by yourself. Yep. You're in this. And they're not all going to do it either. They're there just to be there when you come back out the other side to mm. go... Yeah, <laughs> like basically that's... What about yeah, that? How about that then? You know, and so I had this experience where, and even they said that like they hadn't quite, you know, that had seen somebody, it was just one of those particular things. But they told me beforehand, they said, just remember, uh, you can always go further down. Yeah. And so it was the best bit of advice that I got because... I smoked this thing and before you, you, they have someone there to catch, you know, the pipe because literally it goes like this, you're, you're, you're out, you know? And so I smoked this thing and bang, I can, I see the pipe fall out of my hand and then I just see the universe, you know, like you'd imagine like one of those, you know, great sort of brilliant Apple TV screensavers, the universe just melts away like in all the stars and whatever and you see the pipe just become and you're just suddenly falling down and then i would be in these scenes constantly where it would feel like days you know where i'd been having time to meet these people like learn this new language you know like you communicate with these sort of alien creatures but in their language but you had a perfect understanding of what you know these conversations you were having and um when i came out of the trip like i'm speaking in that language at the end of the trip for about the first 10 minutes as I come out of it, like I'm still speaking in this like gibberish style. Like I'm trying to say to you, hey, can I have a glass of water? But it's coming yeah, out in the yeah, gibberish style yeah. from the trip that I could understand while I was in the trip. And there is this one particular part of it. So I would always keep remembering like while I was in something, like don't stop, you know, go down. Go so there would that, always yeah. be these points where I would literally, you would feel it. You would feel, and then that whole world would just, go away and then suddenly you'd be in this world that was even so there was this one and this is why they, they say that this this drug can often be used for therapy and from my experience this is why it would be able to be used because i had this one particular thing that was um it was like i was in this the best way i can describe it is i knew it was a room full of filing cabinets even though that none of the things actually look like filing yep. cabinets. 
and you could just wander around your life essentially and find these filing cabinets of your life you know work career blah 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 this thing that you you know personal thing that you never have reconciled with but you were in a safe space where you could get out the file and look at the file and go oh look at this shitty thing that i did in my life that i've never really properly looked at or sought my way through because it's so covered in my real life with shame or anger or fear or hurt or whatever but suddenly i'm in this space where i can just take it out and look at it rationally Mm -hmm. you know and look at it from every angle and i do feel like i came out of that part of the experience with a couple of things reconciled that had not been reconciled before. And without it, asking you to go into specifics, yeah. like there were actual events actual that you yeah. went, okay, yeah. and you worked it yeah. through. And if I had my time over and knew I could go back to that scene, there are other things that I wish that I, if I'd known how effective that would have been, I would go back and, you know, oh, look, in some, look in some other filing cabinets. I, I want the filing yeah. cabinets. And there's been a few things since that, yeah. <laughs> that weren't there when... You know, yeah. So that was, they're the kind of two main things that I, when I came out of it, I'd say this is my other big thing that I love the most and that probably has stayed with me a bit, which is when I was coming out of it, the creatures, these, you know, kind of creatures, these guiding creatures gave me advice on how I should be thanking these guys from give, for giving me the experience that I just had. Tell him you like this bit of it or tell him, Thank you for inviting everybody What's going over. What's the telling, creatures? What do the creatures look like? Like the only way I can describe them is there's lots of drawings of them, and I I always because it's quite a common experience the creatures to the point where people think you know that it's communicating with aliens or yeah you know there's a lot of theory around that aspect of it. My best guess is probably that our brains are incredibly capable of things that we just have completely untapped yep. you know like sure and that this is a way of unlocking so yeah it's like turbo boosting a little bit of your brain yep. it's not aliens it's not yep. you know like i i believe that it's just a way of turbo boosting something that is already in your brain that we could probably access in another way but um but yeah like woodland creatures is the best way that i could like you know sort of like part like sort of like like trees come to life sure. or like some sort of yeah you know that sort of vibe, anyway. And as I'm a bit com- hobbity. Well, no, no, kind of more like yeah. But something that, that might appear yeah, in yes, Lord definitely of the someone Rings in, or something, something that could be in Lord of the Rings, yeah. but not your hobbits. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. more more like you go into some forest and all the trees like talk and walk yes. or something. Well, yeah. that's yes, what I'm. That's your kind of, of yeah. Lord of the Rings yeah. vibe. So, and as I'm coming out, they're giving me really great advice on just how to thank, you know, these people, but also how to be grateful for them giving me something that i can't reward them for in return yeah right and that just me thanking them and being cool with it is the thank you you know that you're meant to go no they gave you this experience really willingly and all they want from you in this moment they don't need you to offer them money they don't need you to say i can you know make something up to you in return for this or I need to give you something in return for this. It was like they gave you this experience because they wanted you to have this experience mm-hmm. and that is okay. Yeah. And just thank them for that and say you enjoyed it. And and I think I I think I have tried to take that with me as well. They would be the, the main things that I have got out of it, I think. 
but there were so many other things. If you had to generalise, yeah. would you say, though, that maybe the overriding sensation with those kind of experiences is a feeling of everything's okay? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Or, or that everything is managed... The part of the reason that it's not okay is how we're managing it yeah. rather than yeah. what our perspective is to it rather yes, than yes. it being particularly bad in of itself. Yes. that These experiences aren't necessarily good or bad. Often it's about our incapacity to... Which is what I would say about right. drugs. It's... Yeah. Yeah. How often do you meditate? Oh... Uh, Funnily enough, uh, uh, this is a very interesting question. Officially, this is meant, I'm meant to be talk- interviewing you, by the way. You don't understand that this is actually how this podcast is meant it's to work. It's a dialogue. It's fine. It is a dialogue. It, it is true. Um, I meditate. Uh, I've been trying to meditate regularly, but I, I would say that I am, what I've learned about meditation is that I have been meditating for years in my own way that I was not aware was meditation. Okay, talk me through that. Well, so much of, um, you know, so, well, to use like, you know, so say like a simple breathing breathing technique meditation, you know, one where, you know, it's about concentrating on breath and letting thoughts come and acknowledge and, yeah, get back to your breath. You know, that that style of meditation, for an example, because I think people will be familiar with that style of meditation. I have been doing similar to that for, I reckon, 20 years. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like quite often, because I find it quite a pleasant experience. So if I can't sleep or not, maybe sometimes even if like, I quite like to just before bed go and lie down and sort of breathe and just empty out my head, concentrate on something. And I never realized it was, I wasn't certainly doing it in a, I'm going to do that for this period of time. I'm going to do it sitting here. Like, but I... Funnily enough, when I started to learn to meditate, I was like, oh, that's that thing you do. I'm all over this shit. I was, yeah, but but did not – and not ever consciously saying I am doing this to calm down or I'm doing this to – it was just something that was part of my daily, like, practice, how I just lived a bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. I like to – I quite like to – quiet my mind yes don't we all yeah and we're back to drugs good oh, so okay so how busy is your mind because you're where did meditation come in because like this is you know you're now you know meditation yoga judas Lucy, i'm this a zen is the, master you basically no are. god no um so if yeah. we go back to the time i was talking about before when my parents died and that's when i was really you know whatever rock bottom is and i I certainly, I I knew that the way I was living was not sustainable and was certainly not making me very happy. And that's when someone suggested to me that I give yoga a crack. And I had done it once or twice and enjoyed it. But of course, I was like, "Eh, but I'm touring all the time and I work these crazy hours and I can never get to a regular class. And then that's when this person said, how much? That's right. She said, why don't you get a one-on-one yoga teacher? And I said, that's ridiculous. I can't afford that. And that's when she said, how much money are you spending on 
shampoos and drugs. And you know what? She was right. Oh, yeah, but that's why I can't afford yoga. Exactly. <laughs> I've just got my priorities all sorted. So I did. I found a great yoga teacher, 50 bucks for one hour. Just um, saw her for a long time, actually. One-on-one or in a class? One-on-one. Yeah. So Did you the, ever consider doing it? Have you? Do you do classes or do you oh just God, do yeah. one-on-one? No, no, no. That was a long time ago. But you, did you, you one-on-one first? Yes. Was I've that got, about... I've been to a couple of classes yeah. but had never mm. gone back. You know, it was like the old joining the gym. You yeah. know, you get the assessment, you pay the money, you're never going to see me again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the receipt. Um, and so that's... Uh, so. But yes, when I did the one-on-one, then I didn't have the excuse, you know, because of course I could always find an hour a week. And of course I could and I was lucky enough that I did always have $50 a week for that. So, and that was my very, uh, that was my first step and that was the start of a long journey, Will. So, that was in my early 30s and now I do yoga every day. Every day? Um, if I, it's really rare for me to miss a day. And when you say every day, is that like a class every day or do you do it like, do you, like what's your yoga practice now? So, when I'm in Melbourne, mm. I go to class once a week. Uh, and if I'm just doing it at home, I'll either come up with my own practice or I am not ashamed to say that there's an app mm. that I use when I don't feel like thinking. And you can just whack in how long you want to do, what you want to focus on, and you're away. But if I don't do an hour a day, I do start to go a bit nuts. Okay, so what about it then is, is so helpful? Uh, the older I get, the more I realize that um, just doing stuff with your body is incredibly helpful f- for you, obviously physically, but I think just as much mentally. I spoke to uh, an ex-police officer a few years back and he was uh, working in Sydney at the height of all the terrible corruption, like in the days of Roger Rogerson and, um, you know, um, oh, the other guy from Blue Murder, um, Nettie Smith. So he was around while all of that was going on. He basically told me the story about how he'd seen some appalling things. Uh, this was way before anyone talked about PTSD or people got counselling for anything like that. And he had to leave the force. He didn't tell me why, but he said he witnessed something so horrific that he knew he just had to get out. And he got no therapy. He has subsequently gone and done stuff like that. But he said the thing that got him through that whole period was going to the gym every day. And he said, I just needed to move my body. And that helped me work through some stuff. It wasn't enough, but it was what kept him sane. And so I think that's part of it. And uh, for me, yoga is the thing that just clicks. For some people, it's walking, it's swimming, it's whatever. And for me, that is also a way of being really, I mean, you know, we all know about this terminology now, but it is a way of being very present Mm. for me. And I mean, the whole point of doing yoga is meant to be to get you in a state where you can meditate. And when I am at my most disciplined, I manage to do that, to do an hour of yoga and then to meditate for 25, 30 minutes. That's my ideal scenario. And what, uh, I guess, 
um, what is it that your life is like without those things that those things are helpful to? Like, it does your mind race? Like, if yeah, you're not... Yeah, and so it's insomnia and anxiety okay. and just not being able to turn it off and not being able to... Uh, not being able to be in the moment, which I think is probably one of the... I mean, it's almost impossible, but I also think when I am really present and not thinking about the past or the future, that's that's great. So And thinking less about myself mm. too. I think that is the other key element to it. How so I mean stand up comedian, firstly, it's like I mean, you've made yourself your job. So yes, yes. you know, there's a lot of the time where even professionally you are thinking about yourself. And not only are you thinking about yourself, but there's a whole range of other people who are employed to think about you yeah, also. Yeah, I and can't to encourage you. See, to I think can't about think yourself. about that too much or i just wouldn't be able to get out of bed (laughs) but um but the great thing is when i am when i am doing the stuff that helps me uh you know make friends with my crazy monkey mind that means that um and this is something i've become more and more aware of uh i like to work when i'm working what I don't like is when I'm thinking about it when I'm doing other things. So I am a big fan of when I am writing or getting a show together or whatever, of doing that 110%. But then when I'm with my friends, when I'm doing a million other things, I don't want to be thinking about it as much as I have been known to in the past. You know, where it's like 24 fucking 7 and you just can't turn it off. And I have gotten better at that. What do you like at that? Oh, yeah, no, I'm terrible at that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and part part of what I was saying about that, you know, daily meditation, it came from me being very aware that that was the case. Yeah. So I think that I, my body had naturally, you know, because once it was so funny when I discovered what meditation was, because I'd heard about meditation for so long, like people would talk about meditation, but to me it felt like it was this really intimidating thing, meditation. And then I actually meditated and then I was like, oh yeah, okay, I've been doing a version of this and now this is actually, and it came, meditation was something that I very much enjoyed very easily. Like it was something that I was like, oh yeah, this, this feels good to me. And I think part of the reason was that the, when my brain at its worst is constantly thinking about a million different things. Yeah. It's the thing that has let us make a living doing what we're doing, the capacity to unpick things and looking at things from every angle. And, you know, the amount of times on Gruen, like one of those advertising people just turns to me and goes, like when I ask them a question, they go, we just don't think about it that much. You know, like you just, you've looked at every bit of this and yes, you've seen that problem because, but you're the only person who considered all those things. Yeah. And... At my worst, that's what my brain is. When I'm at my most stressed, when I'm at my most anxious, all these sort of things, it's never one thing. It's always 15 things. Same. You know? yeah. And I can be incredibly guilty in my life of not being engaged in whatever's going on because my brain, I think it's 30% of my brain or 40% of my brain, but I've put it to work working on that other thing while I'm like, I can maintain this normal human interaction with somebody else while still yeah. having 30 or 40% of my brain yeah. clearly working on another thing at exactly the same what time. What percentage am I getting right now? Uh, 
I reckon about like, you know, you'd been getting about 90% like Ooh. most of the time. And then when we kept talking about mindfulness, I was reckoning you were getting a good 96 or 97%. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, I became really aware yeah, of like, yeah. I was just like, Stepping you know up, what? I am here yeah. now. Yeah, be here now, be in yeah. this moment. Still about 3% is like, that's like, is it getting too dark? <laughs> Don't worry, I was doing a bit yeah. of that too. I thought, what yeah. the fuck have I said about drugs? Yeah, I, I think that we were fooled by the fact that we started recording. A, we're at your house. Yeah. B, we're having a glass of wine. Yeah. And then also, there's no lights on. No. So it's kind of got like darker and darker as we And we did spoken. have a chat for a while. Uh, yeah, we warmed you, up. We had a good meeting. So it's beforehand. like, yeah. So we were well into the evening. We really were. <laughs> So why not drugs? They're great. Everyone take them. I mean, the first 45 minutes was essentially drugs are great. Yes. <laughs> but now we've pivoted to yoga and meditation, See, guys. See, so it's all about the yin and the yang. It's fine. Well, you know what I... The mm. other thing that um, was revelatory for me when it came to meditation was it just made me and continues to make me aware of how my mind does work. What I like, and sometimes you do get this from drugs, although I've probably exhausted that topic, although have we? Probably, probably not. Probably not. But um, that it does allow you to take a step back and go, oh, fuck, mm. that's what I do. Oh, that's how I'm thinking about this certain thing. And when I do it consistently, it means I'm much better at not chasing a thought. It means I'm much better at going, oh, that's just a thought. Mm. And that is not me and I don't need to get involved with that. I can just watch it pass. And I have found that tremendously liberating. Uh, when when it's not that case, what is it, what are you most likely to be getting hung up on? Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of mine to yeah, fill in please. some time. That's what I like to do please. with our guests on this show. And then uh, um, for me, absolutely always comes down to this is absolutely is that i it's an ego driven thing around expectation of my capacity to do things and the times as soon as i can remind myself that i am just a dickhead who doesn't of course you fuck that up (laughs) do you mean like and that's fine because you know more than anybody else i know more than anybody else all my you know, flaws and limits and these sort of things. And in those moments where I can be comfortable with those, like you said, you can just go, oh, that's fine. I can let it go by. This is just me. This is just the way my brain works. This is the way that my brain chases this idea and gets obsessed by this thing. But that's all it is. It's nothing other than that. It always ties to some extrapolation. My therapist tells me that I have a tendency to catastrophize. And I think that Uh. that is probably absolutely true that yeah. i can go from zero to a hundred on imagining how something how terrible something is going to turn out and and then get obsessed by you know exploring every aspect of how terribly something is going to turn out ah, yeah. that's not mine no what's yours um i think mine generally gets back to a feeling of lack of worth I think it's generally feeling uh, works a great one, Uh, never good enough. Never good enough. I think I'd go with that. And that can – I can turn that spotlight into almost 
any area. So, well, tell me more about that because you, I, because firstly, you've got to know this, right? That like, well, I'm sure that I've told you this a million times before, but you, you know, I mean, I don't think there is anybody who I am more admiring of in a professional capacity than you like i've said this to you before well, and well Anderson, i know it makes you feel kind. i know it makes you feel uncomfortable also well, to hear it but it's true and i you thank know thank you I, it, an absolute like you know legend of what it is that we do and a great pioneer of what it is that we do and an incredible influence on you know so many of the things that i have tried to do have been inspired i can by you. honestly tell you i'm genuinely feeling a bit sick <laughs> as you say these things yeah right so it, but i say that because you know i know that that doesn't stop you from thinking no. these thoughts at all but i'm saying it out loud so that we can have a conversation perhaps around yes what what your brain's telling you about you know who you are and what your capacity is in those circumstances because i think people would be surprised to hear that your brain tells you that you know those things uh, i mean i and, and only because i have worked on it a lot and i try to be incredibly vigilant about it these days um i can that's one where I can just mm. replay. I used to be much, much worse. And, well, I'll ask you this mm. question, but I would walk off stage and even if it had been a great gig, of course I only remembered the one gag I didn't land, the time. I will really beat myself for stumbling mm. on a word. Yeah. And that is just something that everyone fucking does. Right. I mean, I, I know we talk for a living. And even if it hadn't blown the punchline, I'd still beat myself up about it. I was I woke up this morning, and this is me mm. being a lot better. I did a bunch of uh, regional interviews yesterday because that's what I'm doing at the moment, some regional touring. And I, I just... I was beating myself up about an interview that I did with, I, I, I don't know, Bendigo Triple M. And that's not exactly what it was. And, um, and I'm not knocking Bendigo. I might be knocking Triple M. But, um, <laughs> and it was, it, it was just a question that I thought, fuck, I could have answered that better. Yeah. And, you know, and God, I think we all do this when you walk off stage and you think, why didn't I, especially because I do enjoy talking to the audience when I haven't come up with the best answer. So it's that sort of thing. And you can just get on a loop. And what makes me so furious about that is what a complete and utter waste of time it is mm. because you know i don't have a time machine i can't go back i can't change it so i am having said that a lot better than i used to be but that's still one. Oh. so what was is, where did you think that came from because i certainly was like that and i still am like i mean look there's gigs there's still gigs and shows and whatever that like i would not pretend that i am cured of that in any way i will still wake up with cold sweats in the middle of the night about you know some you know terrible thing that i messed up you know and are you better though I, i'm better at particularly take taking it out on anybody else right i'm much better at, at stepping away from the self-indulgence of not you know like keeping my and that's really true it like is self-indulgent yeah and keeping that displeasure to like i think that there's Part of what makes you good is that you have high standards for yourself. Oh, sure. But there sure. is a performative self-indulgence to – well, it can, it can 
it can become at its worst a performative self-indulgence of like you know I, I you know I messed this up and I can't get past this and this was terrible and this was the end of the world and and we're you know, you know it's been said a million times but we're not saving lives no so we blow a gag yeah. who fucking cares? who cares and that's the other thing you realize yeah. that the things that you're beating yourself up, mm. up, up about another human mm. being might have thought about mm. for 0.05 of a second yeah no one else on the planet cares no no one no one so yeah yeah well where do you think that came from with you um i think well okay uh i think that early on in my comedy career i i mean this is not unusual i i I feel like i had massive imposter syndrome right like i didn't feel like i belonged you know you know that it was something that i could do for a living and i feel like i had that sense of that i would try to find blame or excuses for why i wasn't as good as i felt like i needed to be you know like i felt there was a lot of me just feeling incredibly uh, me feeling like that at any stage somebody was going to say you have to stop doing this yeah and therefore at the very least if i fuck i had to be the first person to point out what i'd done wrong because i didn't want like i wanted them to know that at least i knew that that was wrong yeah um i never felt I mean, I think some of it early on was self-indulgence. Like, you know, like I always, I find perfectionism, the idea of somebody describing themselves as a perfectionist now makes me want to stab myself in the eye. Yeah. Because like, I'm like, because it has an arrogance associated to it, which believes that you think you could have done a perfect performance in the first place. Exactly. I don't think I've ever done a perfect performance. I'm Do you think in your entire life you've done something that you could just go, that was perfect? Of course not. No. Of course Never not. once. Well, I don't think it exists. So why am I beating myself up yeah. by the... It's like the person who gets upset in, you know, terrible traffic when the traffic's terrible every morning. You're like, you shouldn't be upset that the traffic's terrible. It's, it's terrible every morning. Yeah. Therefore, that is actually normal. Yeah. Like, you know, and it was a bit like that with gigs. You've never done a perfect gig. So why are you giving yourself so much shit tonight that you didn't do a perfect gig? So what does that get back to? It's hard to... Well, I suspect yeah. it comes back to not liking yourself very much. Right. See, I'm not sure that that is what it was for me. Ah, I'm pretty confident what it was for me. Yeah. Because I think I was always thinking um, somehow I'm at fault here. Right. I'm not good enough. I'm And boy, oh boy, if you really want me to run with the ball, relationships. Mm. Um, not friendships but um if a thing ever fucks up with a man whether it's um a long-term relationship or a one-night stand i'm repulsive and it's all my fault Mm. that is my that is my happy fallback position well no it's not a happy position but um and you know and what if i really go back then maybe it's that thing that, you know, if you grow up and your your parents weren't having a great time and kids always take that on. And I think there was a part of me that it came from there, that it was mm. kind of like, but surely if I'm perfect, which I never can be, mum and dad won't argue. Or, you know, it's that little kids do that all the time, whatever's going on in the household, it's somehow your fault. And I think I just really decided that that was such a terrific way to feel that I was going to embrace that and take it with me to adulthood. 
with what in mind as an end result or just the indulgence itself is that the like was there what's the next logical step of that because you know i i uh, there, there, there isn't, isn't one, right there isn't. there isn't it's 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 like a gambler yeah. you you're always going to lose or mm. or if you get a you might get a small payout but then you'll lose next time oh no there's no logic to it there's absolutely no logic to it which is why when i finally worked some of that stuff out i went you got to stop this mm. shit this is a waste of not only your time but well you know I hate to think that this is bleeding through into my relationships with people or my work or anything else. It's just like you've got to spend some of this time. One of the things, and I look, I love reading a bit of Buddhism. I will never be a Buddhist, but I love the fact that Buddhism is always about two wings to the bird and one wing is wisdom and one is compassion. So it's basically sort your shit out so you can get better at caring for other people and doing stuff for the world. And I, I think that is what I have tried to approach life when I started working a few things out it's just like yeah work this stuff out so you can just you know be a bit more of a useful human being be better for other people yeah yeah because really what the hell are you know obviously it's about trying drugs and helping other people <laughs> that's that's why we're here well it's, it's, it's glad that we did this podcast yeah. really. it's important isn't it yeah um uh, the reason we actually got together to do this podcast is because you have a podcast of your own yeah yeah finally moving into the lucrative podcast uh, okay. market again oh wow hey <laughs> it, it, now, uh, i'm retiring your last experience didn't uh put you off this new podcast experience did it my last experience your oh last gosh podcast experience. yes my last podcast was with my ex-partner unfortunately no i love doing that podcast that was mm. uh mr abbott and the bearded lady and we used to talk about movies and tv and no i love doing that mm. Uh, but this is very different. This is called Judith Lucy Overwhelmed and Dying. And yes, this is the first interview I've given about it. So what to say? It's half, it's eight half-hour episodes roughly on the ABC in a nutshell. It's about me waking up before I turn 50. It's after my relationship ended and essentially going, oh my God, the world is screwed and so is my life. Why am I getting out of bed in the morning? Uh, I'm crying every time I listen to any news or read any news. Um, yeah, there's not an element of my life that I don't feel uh, disheartened or despairing about. Whether that was uh, getting older and the prospect of, of being single forever, uh, whether it was uh, climate change, whether it was just... So on the micro and the macro, I just went, wow, everything's gone to shit. So uh, as I usually do, I thought, surely I can turn this into some showbiz. <laughs> so that's what I have attempted to do. So in the eight episodes, I look at everything from what I've just been talking about to there's a bit of purpose and meaning in there. I mean, I... For a long time I had been thinking and actually one of the people we interviewed put it very well when she said action is a way of dealing with anxiety. And so as opposed to being overwhelmed by something, pick something you want to get involved in and do it. And 
I had been doing some volunteering and I had been looking at doing things locally. So we look at that. We look a lot at uh, grassroots movements. Um, you know, it's kind of like, well, fuck, if the government isn't doing stuff about climate change, what can I do in my own area? So we look at... What was the major thing when you, when you look at the world, when you look at climate change in mm. particular... What was it about that that you you found so compelling? Because, I, and I don't mean this in a I, well. No, I'll I'll just say it. You know, we've known each other long enough. I can say, I'd say things blunt to you, and you'll understand that I'm sure. not saying them in an insulting way. Yeah. Because you you in some ways have the same calculus that I have, which is that we probably won't see the worst of it, and we don't have kids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, like, people who have kids, they've got shit. Do you know what I mean? Like, Actually, I've got to go. <laughs> I mean, what do you care? I want some DMT. <laughs> I want to. I want to get to my filing cabinets. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to drive a, a Hummer to get there. Um, but you know, so yes, but you understand yeah. the question I'm asking you, right? Which is, what's your stake in the game? Why do you care? Because, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase one of the people we interviewed, I don't want to think that I didn't do as much as I could for the generations that are hopefully coming. Mm. And how can we be so arrogant not to care about that and not to care about not obviously just the, the humans but all the other creatures that are on the planet and the planet itself it just the older i get the more it strikes me as being obscene yeah that 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 sense of that there is something else happening here that is much more beyond you know you talk about that idea of it not being about you anymore that it being about something much bigger than you and really that's all i've got like i mean you know i i think it's if you know anything about me you know i had a very catholic upbringing and i certainly walked away from that and i nothing has replaced that apart from a belief that we are a part of something bigger and i like living my life like that because if it's not about connection and thinking about the rest of the world and other people i i honestly don't know why we're here no it's it's about the only thing that you can really hold on to i've been talking about this in my shows but is that idea that you're just meant to leave it better than you found it yeah pretty much like there's not much else about it that yeah the story of humanity that you know makes a lot of logical sense if you put it together you know and everybody has their different theories but the one that you can kind of go this has been working reasonably well is Leave it better than you found it. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's Don't what evolution is, right? And do what you can. Yeah. And that might be a little bit or it might mm. be a lot. And that's what I think the podcast is about too. It's about finding the thing that you want to make a difference in and doing simply what you can do. And maybe, fuck, I don't know, maybe you've got half an hour a week. Just do something. Maybe you can donate $5 a week to something. I mean, we've all got what different What do you capacities. do that is not f- for you? Like, what's your, like, you know, as in, like, it's not, you know, you doing your show, you doing your, your stand-up. What, what, are, what are the sort of things really that you do? i really honest and say that I feel like there's already been a number of things I've said on this mm. podcast that make me look 
like quite a wanker, Will. <laughs> and I feel like I simply have to draw the line somewhere. And I'm drawing it right <laughs> really? here. Yeah. You're not going to tell me. I'm not going to tell you. All right. Well, that's okay. You're allowed. You have the right. And <laughs> maybe it's nothing. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe that's good really cover. the good, answer. Good, good and I'm going to say, up. well, the fact that you're doing nothing for I'm anyone, doing Lucy. so much. <laughs> But I'm just not going to tell gonna you talk about, about it. My great, my great acts of charity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shh. I'm so busy helping so many. I'm not one to brag, so quietly. Whenever there's an have anonymous donation. Have you ever seen me and Bill Gates in the room at the same time? Just have a little think. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm just going to find all the things that you do and take credit for them yeah. if you won't. Knock yourself out. I'll know. The universe will know. But don't you um, reckon? I, I mean, wasn't a, a particularly even asking yes, for for you to no. be listing a, a list of things that you've done. I was more looking for an example of, uh, and maybe don't talk about the things themselves, but what is it you get out of doing something for someone else rather than doing something for yourself, I guess is perhaps the question. Oh, you can... read the Bible, work it out. Oh, <laughs> Seriously, I was asking for your opinion. <laughs> All right, not going to answer that one either. We can. That's okay. We can. Uh, but I mean, we can I move think on. We know this, don't we? Don't well, we know that? Hell, I mean, it's even selfishly helping others makes you feel better. I, I mean, mean, this is the thing that kills me about right, uh, humanity: yes. is that we sort of actually know all this shit. We know altruism is actually good for us. We know that chasing fame, wealth, all of that shit, ultimately it doesn't actually make you feel better. I mean, there's clearly a difference between not having enough money to live. But once you have met all the basic needs, um, then really it's not going to make you that much happier. And we know all of this. That's why all this shit, is, uh, it's all one cliche after another. And yet we're like rats in a fucking wheel. Humans are so bad at learning. See, this it's is a what miracle I was, to this me is what I was we're trying to get to, here in the species while we're here. <laughs> I do not know that barely a day goes by when I don't go, how is it that humans are still around when we are such fuckwits? Well... So I was speaking to Nellie Thomas on on this show, and uh, the we wonderful Nellie, yeah, she's the best, and she is really the best. loved talking to her about this sort of stuff as well. And she was talking about some very similar things thematic to, thematically to you, in that she was saying, "We know we're living life wrong. Yeah, we know. Yeah, right. We're living life wrong, and we know it. So then, what is preventing us? You know, this is the next bit, right? If if we know all this stuff, as you say to me, then why are we not? living the things that we know and why are we on this relentless you know pursuit of destruction that we seem to be on at the moment which is all about you know insane perpetual inequality and growth and you know destruction of you know natural resources and the planet at the same time like how did it how did it come to this if we know that we're living wrong and we know this is not what we're meant to be doing and we know it feels good to help other people how did we get to where we are now i wish i fucking knew do you come up with the answer in your podcast series? Uh, because be well you'll hook. have to tune in to find <laughs> out. but i mean there are obviously so many reasons why we've reached this point but again i think the closest i can come to explaining it is our minds fuck with us and this again is where i think buddhism has a lot going for it because i honestly do 
believe if you can get better at sorting out how your mind works, you are much better at freeing yourself from those traps. Um, you, you spoke about, you know, obviously a, a relationship ending being the, you know, the Kickstarter, you know, for, for this. The, you know, you, 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 obviously your last show, you know, Judith Lucy versus Men, that was what it was called, wasn't it? Um, you went through a series of stories from, you know, various relationships and got the audience to, you know, vote at the end whether you should, you know, keep dating or not. And yep. uh, was there ever a night where they said, don't no. keep? No. no. How many times did you do the show? I don't reckon? know. And I'm still doing it. Yeah. And yet every night, despite hearing but despite a for litany a, Despite of for an hour tales. only hearing from the prosecution, not the defence. Yeah. <laughs> despite the fact that it is just me giving more and more evidence <laughs> on why I should stop dating, right. still every night the audience says, yes, you should. You should keep dating. And obviously... I mean, I think that's a combination of, again, we're hardwired to think, I think women in particular, um, of course, are happier when they've got a man, straight women, obviously. Um, But I also think that my audience selfishly does want me to keep getting my heart broken so that I will keep writing shows about it. Uh, and so really they're just thinking about themselves. I mean, there's probably a small percentage of that, but I think they all understand that you're smart and clever and funny enough to make jokes about other things as well. Well, I like to think so. It's like well, when people but... used to say, you must love Tony Abbott, Prime Minister, he's so much material. You're like, no, no, no. no. I can, I'm, I'll write some jokes about some other you, things. You I'd can rather work out some yeah. other stuff. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, but I think, well, then, uh, to be honest with you, I think mm. it has got a lot more to do with the fact that we still have this ridiculous notion that there's a happily ever after. And so if you're actually getting up on a stage and saying well I think I'm done with that fairy tale people are like but we're still all in the fairy tale you should be too uh so where are you in that that world now what's what what is your perspective on like you know the prospect of going forward and dating and you know where that fits into your life and your world Considering everything we've been talking about, I guess I'm at a point, and this is, I'm trying to write a book this year, and this is sort of what the book's about, I'm slowly discovering, is that it's really about all the other stuff. It's really about, I just want to get much better at understanding me so I can get much better at living a, a, you know, a good life where hopefully, as you say, I do a tiny bit that might leave the world a little better than before I was born gee even that just seems like a fantastic notion but it's not a bad thing to aim for so I'm just going to concentrate on those things and if something comes along well that's just great I certainly won't say no thank you sir Mm. but uh, I am certainly not chasing it yeah because I've spent a fair bit of time chasing it and you know, not that I haven't had some great experiences and met some wonderful men along the way, but I'm I'm really done with that for now. Um, I yeah, oh, well, that's okay. I mean that's okay, right? How oh, I, but this how is the are thing. you in a relationship? I am are you, okay with it. Yeah, but are you it's, good in a relationship? Yeah. Uh, what would do you mean? As in, like, do you feel like okay? So regardless of the success or otherwise yeah. of the various relationships, sure. because. You know, relationships are awesome. Like you said, good, bad, indifferent. Yeah. And like people who have like, you know, 90-year marriages, yeah, probably have 
almost as many good, bad, or indifferent times as people who have failed relationships. Absolutely. Right? You know, like yeah. it just yeah. one day it just got tipped a little bit too far the other way, you know, for yeah. whatever reason. But it's not like there's these people with perfect relationships and these people with terrible relationships. Most people are, you know, it's their relationships and people are different and, you know, people are different as well. You know, I'm yeah, different today than I am tomorrow. You know, like how are you better in a relationship as a person or do you think that you're do you become do you become more of you or do you become less of you in a relationship i think that's why i was so disappointed when my last relationship ended and i was with him for nearly five years because that was the first relationship i'd really been in where i i mean it sounds incredible when i think about it but i honestly turned to friends and said oh I finally get this whole relationship thing now. I understand that it can make your life better. Because in the past, with no offence to anyone else I've been involved with, um, I don't know that I did feel that those relationships made my life better. But until the shit spectacularly hit the fan with the last one, I thought, oh, wow, I've really got someone in my corner and uh, I get it. Look, I've spent more time single than I have with someone. However, friends have always been an incredibly important part of my life. So I feel like in terms of emotional support, I've always been lucky enough to get that from really good friends. But for the first time, there was an extra layer to that in that last relationship. And look, if I could have that again, that would be really great. I'm glad I had it once, you know. But I'm I'm pretty happy in my own company too. Yeah, so I think that, you know, my probably major fault in my relationships with other people is that I am quite happy in my own company. And sometimes that can be, you know, you can like, maybe not even intentionally, but, you know, like, I think that sometimes happiness in your own company is intimidating for other people as well. You know, it can be a lot, you know, to, to be around somebody who's just happy to be by themselves and do their own thing. But I go, I'm a bit, um, but I can go a bit nuts if mm. I get too much of that. But then I sometimes think that's just about being too much in your own head again. But um, yeah, I I actually love seeing people. I love seeing my friends. But Jesus Christ, I do love coming home and shutting that door too. Uh, so the podcast, you, 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 so you're having a look at the world, the world itself, and then you're having a look at your place within that world. Yes. I mean, as I have done in the past, it's kind of like I'm using my story just as a way of stringing all the shit together, basically. And then every episode is uh, usually me having some sort of experience and then talking to people who know a lot more than I do, which is almost everyone. So what was it that you... Um was there something that you did not know at the without wanting to give anything away too much but was there something that you did not know at the start of the process because these are when you go on these sort of you know uh how, how do i best journeys. describe it journeys right there's there's two things that could happen particularly when you're putting together a you know a show around the journey which is that you go in with a set of expectations and then the journey sort of, you know, here are, here are my plans and this is kind of, 
how I expected it would work out or this would happen. And, you know, or there can be moments of genuine surprise along the way where you're like, oh, this is not what I expected my reaction would be to this moment or this thing or this is completely counterintuitive to what I imagined the advice would be that I would get in this area. Is there an example of yeah. something that really surprised you? Yes, there is. And... Uh... I didn't actually think that the series would have a definitive ending. Mm. Um, like I did a, a TV series for the ABC called Jews Lose Spiritual Journey quite a few years ago now, which was such an amazing thing and probably one of the things that I enjoyed doing most when it comes to my career. And while I had moments um, during that that were amazing, like – you know, being on the Ganges and, you know, this is where you do go, our job's pretty good. And yeah. I got to do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to work out some shit in my life. And, and so... I got to go to the Ganges. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's film it and pay me at the same time. So yeah. that all worked out pretty well. Well, coming to ABC Comedy next year, Judith and we'll do ayahuasca. <laughs> People would watch Judith, that. Lucy and Will no. Anderson do drugs. Like... It's Honestly, writing itself. Eight-part series. Yep. And the two of us, yep. each episode we pick a different drug. Travel the world. Travel the world. And get off our We face. do the drugs and then we record a podcast together. And then we open all our filing cabinets, Will, and we sort all our everything about our lives out. That would it's be an amazing. Amazing. Gina yeah. um, will do drugs. <laughs> it's I'd watch that. I mean, you've got to at least watch an episode or two uh, of it, sure, right? Sure, of course you do. We'd be good travelling companions in, I the, think we would. in that world. I think we would Enough in common but enough differences exactly. for it to be Exactly. I think know, we'd have each other's backs. Yeah. So I, I think this is this is a win-win. I mean, we could sell that. Yeah. We should call it... Uh, our manager, our mutual manager... Uh, yes. Uh, ...is... Uh, overseas at the moment and so uh, the time that it is now because it's it's eight o'clock at night here which would mean it was probably about i think where he is it's probably about two o'clock in the morning great I this say is the we, time to I ring, say we ring yeah <laughs> and we say hey. we, we've got an idea and we got an idea for you <laughs> and i think the abc especially in the current climate will just really go for it uh, look, if that show doesn't come yeah. about, uh, do tune into the podcast. Yes, there is. There is yeah. an actual experience that I have that blew my tiny mind. Right. And it's in the last episode. And I sort of vaguely... Uh, so, I mean, the the rough order of is it's kind of, you know, you find out what's happened with me and then there is some general stuff at the beginning about talking about how, how to make the most of the years that I have left. Then we look at wellness and ageing. Then we look at uh, sex and relationships. Then we look at career and purpose. Then that leads into volunteering and grassroots movements. Then we look at... Uh, there's an episode that's much more just about meaning. And then the last episode is called Tying All This Crap Together. Mm. And uh, that does involve me going to WA and maybe chatting with Mr Tim Winton. And something happens in that episode which does absolutely change my life. And I didn't expect to have that result. So you know what? If you don't listen to the podcast, fuck you. Yeah. My life's been changed right. anyway. Yeah. <laughs>
Hang on, isn't that the that, that's the selfish all about you attitude that you are making? Yeah, me get that's the one. I mean, it's a, it's a, well, it continues to be a journey, which which and it's not a linear one. You see, you do all this work, yeah. and then every now and then you go straight back to well, I mean, maybe that's the analogy or the metaphor that it is in trying to do something for other people, make a podcast for people's entertainment. It's actually, made me realise it's yeah, just all about just me. All about you. Yeah. <laughs> And what a relief. You know, I, I suspected that it was all about me and I've had that confirmed. Is there, when it comes to... Are we nearly done, by the yeah, way? Because no, no, it, is, it is it's, it's dark black. now. Oh, no, no, it's, I haven't I actually know. turned on I, a light. No, no, no. I, I need, of course, we need it to finish, but I can't, I, there's just a couple is of things. Is anyone still I, listening at this stage? Who can say? How long have we raved No, no, it's for? fine. It's, it's actually not even that long. It's like an hour and a half. Do you know what I remember um, the first time I did this? I'll always remember because uh, it was you were not living in Melbourne, no. so it was in your hotel room. It was at the Como and, in South uh, Yarra. And I, I think one of the last things I said mm. to you as I was turning to mm. leave, I said, yeah, but you're going to edit this, right? And you just <laughs> went, nah. I, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> So at least I knew that yeah. going in this time. But uh, anyway. So, no, yeah, we're about to finish, but I, I had a question. Um, oh, which was this? I, 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 I want to finish it. I, I, we can finish on this round of questions. Sure. Is that if that's Round of questions, okay. Well, it's about the idea of what's, you know, what's still that itch that you want to scratch. So, you know, professionally, is there still things that, you have not done in your life as a professional, you know, comedian that you still, you know, have desires to do. I, I mean, obviously you are going to keep making work and doing things, but is there yeah. things that you're like, I've always wanted to do that and I've never had the opportunity to do Not that? really, no. I, to be honest. I mean, it's not like I've gone, oh, I always wanted to write a movie or... and But also that may well change. Mm. Um, I guess, God, this is going to sound so wanky... I would like to be able to keep working on myself so that I feel that I am doing some good in the world and be able to involve the creative process in that more and more. See, that's it. That's how you end it. See, all I need to do is ask that one more question, and it ended so nicely. There you go. Yeah, if you'd just been that concise earlier, we could have. Uh, we could have saved I mean, an hour and fucking twenty-five of, I mean, minutes. Nah, the first forty-five. Well, minutes. now you're going to have to answer that question. No. What's What's the itch you need to scratch still? Um, if I, I I've been thinking about this a lot recently, I don't think that I have ever done anything where I completely allowed myself to be who who it is that I truly am. And why is that? Uh, a, a lot of different reasons. There's a lot of, you know, build up around, you know, who I am and who I think I am and, you know, who other people think you are and all these sort of things that you, you know, so often, you know, you are defined by you know what people th like you know jobs can define you yeah yeah in, in a way like you know so you can be you know you you would know this like you know you do a certain type of job and you have a certain type of audience and then you start to think that that's who you are because other people tell you that's who you are 
Um, I don't think that in the first five to seven years where normally you probably are honest or you can be honest, there's capacity for honesty, I don't think that I ever thought that I had anything that was worth saying enough to be completely honest about who I was and what I thought, you know. And uh, now that I'm at an age in my life where perhaps maybe I do or maybe I could understand myself in a way to make something that honestly reflects who I am, um, you know, a lot of the time you put other things in the way of doing that because trying to make something that's honest, what if you made something that's completely honest and people didn't and like people it. And people didn't like it. Yeah. and That's the scary part. It's terrifying. But I think I'm at the point in my life where... I mean, you saw my show about being arrested. Yeah, and which I thought was fantastic. I th That was as close to me trying to... Well, I you fucking love that show. You know, but that, was, that gave me an idea about, you know, oh, this is rewarding to... You know, you, you don't have to be the hero of the story. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that's hopefully that... Yeah, you know, I tell that story in a way that is all the mess of it as well as, you know, yeah, like, but I was like, I want to do more of this. I would, as in not get arrested more, but like, I want to do more where I could connect with what I honestly feel, not what I think that I should say um, when I talk about things. So nothing specifically. It's not like, yeah. like you but said, I think that's it's not a, about like when I, I, I want to write a movie. But I think that's a pretty big thing. A, and yeah. in fact, I want to, uh, I want to do more of that. Yeah. It's kind of like I think I'm okay with doing that in stand-up. I'd like yeah. to do more of it. And, for instance, the book that I'm currently writing, I want this to be the most honest book yeah. that I've ever written. Because, I, again, I mean, ugh. but again, I think it gets back <laughs> to connection. I really do. And I think that the more you open – oh, my God, I'm turning into fucking Brené Brown. Wait, we are in just, the dark. Just We're literally in the dark. be vulnerable, Will, be vulnerable. What does she say? It's um, soft front, hard back or something. Oh, fuck, I don't know. But, but, but I actually believe that when you open yourself up to people and when you make yourself vulnerable, people really react to it. People love that because it gives them permis permission to do the same thing. Uh, what's it? Tell me, we will stop, but tell me what the podcast is called one more time. I'll do a proper plug up the top. It's Judith fine. Lucy, Overwhelmed and Dying. I really wanted it to be Judith Lucy is Overwhelmed and Dying, but apparently people like short titles, so I had to lose the is. Uh, what? That can't be yeah, true. Yeah, there's something That's like that. There was, there was, some, there was a like, thing this needs to be where I had to have a certain amount of words, and is was just, I, I just, they just couldn't afford the is. Mm, okay. Well, anyway, it's a, it's a great title. Um, I'm looking forward to it. And you're also touring. You, you're on the road doing uh, stand-up shows as Look well. Look out, Frankston. That's where I'll be this Saturday. Okay. Beautiful. There you go. Judith Lucy.